listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. All right, Jeff. So we are going back to growth, which I guess we're, we never really leave growth, but we, we did a series on growth with a lot of guests in late 2020. And we're going back into that series, but we're going into it with a different bend here. You've invited a guest on to talk with us about leadership and growth and, and really, I guess, how leadership either enables growth or, or blocks it from happening. So would you like to introduce our guest to our listeners for me? I'd be happy to. And this is going to be really confusing for listeners because on the call with us today is another Jeff, Jeff Munn. Say hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Jeff's on the podcast with us today because I love Jeff. Jeff is a former colleague of mine from Hewitt. I'll let him share his story in just a moment. But from that time I met Jeff, I had a kindred spirit in so many different ways in terms of our view of professional services, business. He's brilliant intellectually. But he really gets the softer side of of business and life and professional services in particular, has one of the most interesting career trajectories. And I'll let him tell you about that. And you'll soon find out while he's on the podcast with us today. Go ahead, Jeff. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. So I started out as a law firm lawyer in the 90s. Moved to Hewitt. I was there at Hewitt and Jeff and my time overlapped. Um, was at Hewitt for 15 years, had eight different jobs while I was there, had a, a couple other engagements, including a roughly five-year one at, at Fidelity Investments to end my official corporate employee career. But all along the way, I was studying personal development. It kind of happened by necessity. I, I started out, you know, in law school and as a lawyer, really struggling with panic attacks and anxiety and trying to manage that and trying to manage my own overachiever tendencies and got into meditation. I mean, this was at the time, you know, Phil Jackson was teaching the Chicago Bulls meditation. And I decided it couldn't be too weird if uh, an NBA team was using it. So I got over my own reticence and and discovered it made a huge difference for me and and as that played out over my corporate career you've got this you know this this side plot of always you know what was Jeff doing this weekend whether he was going to a retreat or you know studying with a teacher or doing some of these other kind of things and i discovered over time that oh this is not only helpful for me, but there's this thing called coaching and i could help other people with it and and so probably about 10 years before the end of my corporate career, I started thinking about, hey, is this something that I could make a full-time living from? And I began to get more and more fascinated with what was going on inside the human brain, inside the human soul, as much as I was interested in what the latest healthcare trend was. And in 2016, uh, my position got eliminated in a restructuring and I got the you know severance and uh, some other enough other things lined up that it felt like the universe was saying hey if you're interested in this coaching thing here's everything you need give it a try and I decided to walk through that door and five years later I'm a, a full-time 
executive leadership coach working with pretty senior executives in healthcare and other industries and uh, moved across the country in the in the trade so moved from Washington DC to this little Colorado mountain town called Carbondale near Aspen and it's really just been an amazing journey and I'm helping other people oftentimes senior executives challenged by leadership issues to go through their own journeys that's like the 21st century quintessential entrepreneurial story isn't it picked up my computer and I moved to Colorado and <laughs> did what I was made to do well I mean there is more and more and especially you know when you talk about covid like the opportunities that we've had to think differently because of circumstances, it's amazing what happens when you do allow yourself to think differently and to you know kind of take off some of those you know mental reins that you've put on yourself. Really cool things happen. This is kind of brings together one of the you know things that drew me to Jeff and why we stayed in touch you know, over a decade after time at Hewitt is in working with Jeff as a thought leader and as a practice leader, when I was the head of marketing at, at Hewitt, you know, we were able to talk about a lot of, of personal stuff as well. But one of the things that we had in common was this interest in this spiritual development and personality test called the Enneagram. And it opened up, you know, many a, a conversation about what drives behavior within professional services firm. And if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, there'll be a link in the show notes to go check this out. But it is one of the most incredible tools for spiritual development, personal development that, that I've ever seen. But I, I had this hypothesis and Jeff and I talked about it that there are one or two personalities in, in particular that tend towards the professional services world and environment. And that led us into this conversation about what drives behavior. And for those of you that have listened to this podcast regularly, you hear me talk about the BS of PS and the structural and, and you know personality dimensions within professional services. This kind of gets to that. But Jeff and I started talking about how leadership either creates or destroys the environment that enables growth. And what's driving that is fear. And there are any number of, of fears. So Jeff, let's, let's jump into the meat of, of, of what we're going to talk about today. And that's how leadership and their personalities and these drivers, whether it's, it's fear of something or fear of not having something that shapes the culture and influences everybody within an organization and the firm's potential. Yeah. I mean, there's so much rich territory to navigate there. And and you highlighted a, a couple of fears and what I would call outer fears, you know, fear of fear of not, you know, getting what you want, fear of not delivering the result that you've been asked to deliver, those kind of things. But I think the main fear in a professional services firm, frankly, from having been in, in it and from having been around a, a lot of people in professional services, the main fear is the fear of looking stupid. And, and so much. Hey, I mean, hey, I, hey, hey, Jason, you have that fear, don't you? <laughs> Never in my life. 
This is true outside of professional service firms too, but I think it's especially true within it. And I had managers tell me this, you know, you have two jobs in a professional services firm. One is to do your work and the other is to make sure you look good doing your work and make sure everybody else knows what you're doing. And that second job is exhausting. And so the more that as a, you know, you you think about how do you be an effective leader in a professional services firm? The more you can take that second job off people's plates so that they can actually bring what they bring to the table without the fear of looking stupid or being stupid, that they can actually be heard by their leader. They can actually contribute a new and potentially innovative idea and know, you know, the key to having good ideas is to have lots of bad ideas. You know, some of that, that idea generation. I mean, I was listening to one of your podcasts about someone who was in the business of naming things. Well, you know, how many bad names do you need to come up with something before you come up with the one that sticks, right? And to create that kind of environment where there's just this constant, juicy, fertile conversation that turns into good things. I mean, that is the magic to me. The leader is not the person who has to have the best ideas. The leader is the person who's creating the environment in which the best ideas can emerge. So let's talk about that a little bit more. I mean, I, you know, when I think about, when I think a lot of people think about leadership, you, you conjure this image of the rah-rah inspirational voice, right. you know, jobs on stage or somebody that's, you know, that's inspiring all this great change. You know, what you just described is very different than that, I think. So can you take us underneath that a little bit further? When you get into studies of who the most effective leaders are, it really, you know, if you, if you look, and, and, and this is work that Jim Collins did over the years and, and, and others, there is a, it's not the, the charismatic leader who necessarily gets the best results. We always think of a Steve Jobs. We always think of a Elon Musk. But a lot of the most effective leaders are actually much more behind the scenes. They're much more about creating an environment for innovative thought in the case that we're talking about. They're much more about their people looking good and having opportunities and learning and growing and developing. We just don't hear those stories as much because frankly, they don't fit within this hero's journey view of the world that the press likes to have. We, We have this perspective that as Americans and living in this bubble of what that means, it's about the individual pulling himself or herself up by their bootstraps and fighting off all comers and, and, you know, leading the charge. And yet we see over and over again, that's just not the case. And you think about professional service firms in particular, you win by having the best people. I can't think of a single, you know, maybe maybe you can think of advertising firms or, or others that, you know, Leo Burnett, right? Named after one particular individual. But for the most part, you have a brand around, wow, they've got really smart people. They're incredibly helpful. They'll do anything for us. They will solve our issue. Not, I'm thinking about one person to do that. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. 
If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. I have a quick question for you, Jeff. You said you win by having the best people. And that's that's a popular adage in, in so many firms when they they position themselves. You know, they always say our people are our greatest assets and we have the best people. Everybody says that. Yeah. But I'd be curious to know, and Jason, I don't think I've ever asked you this question either, but I'd like to know your thoughts. Define best. What makes the best person, the best people? Because I think what I consider the best people may be different from what Jason considers the best people. Well, I'll turn it around and ask another question. What's the kind of work you do? What's the kind of client you serve? And I think those kind of things are going to inform your definition of best people. So if the kind of work that you're doing is executional in nature, it's process-based, it's about you know 99.9% uptime, 99.9% quality, best person is going to mean something different for that organization than you know someone who is uh, doing something more creative that that naming exercise that you know that I referred to advertising or you know something else that's you know perhaps it's innovation in the healthcare space perhaps it's developing uh, strategic thinking and strategic plans you know more of these questions that are more unknown rather than execution of something that's known you're going to need different types of people for that so, so I think the mission and vision of the organization is going to inform how they define best people. Yeah, I was, I was just going to layer on top of that. I mean, everything you described there, I, I totally agree with. It feels very about culture. I think that thing I would pair at the hip with that is the mission of the organization. And I don't mean the mission statement that's written down. I mean, what is the mission that we're trying to accomplish? You know, we're a $50 million firm and our mission is to be a $100 million firm by XYZ date for this or that or whatever, right? You know, so there's mm-hmm, some... Mm-hmm. You know, future state stated goal that that leadership is driving towards that has to layer on to what people do you need to to get there? I would think so. Well, yeah, and you need different people at different stages. Too. Yeah, I work with a fair amount of I'll call them mature startups. So these are organizations that they have an idea. They have an idea that they think is going to change healthcare or change the marketplace in some way. And that at, at the beginning, it's about how do I get this idea out there? How do I get matched up with the right kind of organization as a client? And then it becomes more about, okay, we've tested this. We know it works. How do we scale it? And the types of people that you need at those different stages, you know, you need a lot more what I'll call Swiss army knives at the beginning, people who can do anything, who can, you know, who are willing to just figure it out and navigate the messiness. And and then as you begin to scale, you need more, yeah, I'm I'm willing to be the chief marketing officer. I'm willing to be the chief sales officer. I'm willing to, you know, stay more in this silo and have expertise and processes within that silo. It's a totally different game. Yeah. Yeah. That was it's funny, but that was the same thing that jumped to my mind was process and discipline when you we were talking about scale, especially if you you know you have some IP or, or service set or product solution that has a proven track record of performance and that can be scaled. I don't want to take us too far afield, but, but I have a question for you that might you know take us back to the beginning. And I'm just curious in your work, and you, you open this with a little bit about the moment that we've kind of been living through in COVID and a lot of change, and, and you work with a lot of leaders. 
So I mean, I guess what's your take on on the people you work with and what you've seen? What's the state of leadership in this moment? Meaning, I guess the question I'm asking is how much has this burned out people leading through the last 18 months of the pandemic, social change, just a lot going on in our in our society? That's a really interesting question. And and I'll tell you my own experience, and this just may be a subset of the people, you know, the the, the subset of people that I happen to work with, there's a point at which, you know, what are we close to 18 months into this, right? Where it's just like, when are we going to see normal again? But at the same time, there is this opportunity for flexibility. I mean, I, I go back to the very beginning of this, you know, in what, March of 2020. If you asked CEOs about working from home, probably 80% of them would have said, oh, there's no way we can do it. We need the collaboration of being in the office, blah, 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 blah. And then in two weeks, everybody figured out how to do it. <laughs> and and frankly, the, the organizations that I'm working with now that are thinking about going back, they're recognizing that mandating going back probably isn't going to work, that there's some navigational sweet spot that they need to reach around flexibility. I mean, that's particularly important with you know knowledge workers, which is what we're talking about. Different environments work better for different things. So you know, I can crank away at home on my laptop something that and 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 get it done in a day that would take me a week with the interruptions of the office. And at the same time, you know, how do we get together in person and have these brainstorming sessions and get all the ideas out on the table? We're not saying no, we're never going to do that again. I think people are eager to do that, but it's within this broader context of, well, how do we define this going forward? And and what's the right thing to do for our firm and our workforce? And that's a really fascinating question to me. Yeah. You know what? As Jason asked that question, I was like, wow, that's not the question I would have asked <laughs> or or the conclusion I would have gotten to. And as you were as you were answering that, I was reflecting on why they you know they were just just kind of different perspectives on this. My perspective is that a, a situation like COVID brings the best out of the best managers and having the challenges in front of them that they have that the best managers wouldn't be burned out; they would be charged up. I don't know if that's realistic. That's kind of where my my brain went when Jason asked his question, because like your description of figuring out how to work remotely in two weeks, I think the best managers love to attack those problems. And and that to me is, and I think your definition too, of what, what leadership is. So I have this question for you, and I know Jason's going to bring us to a wrap, that are, we just juxtapose two types of leaders and their mental state at the end of 18 months of COVID. And as a result of that mental state, which really, if we're honest with ourselves, we can't hide. It just emanates out of us and impacts those people around us. So Jeff, I'd like you to wrap up by sharing with us if leadership creates culture and that we know that so many leaders are driven by fear and you highlighted the two things that your boss told you to do, and you said, eliminate the, the second one, look good at what you're doing. What can leaders do to recognize their own fear 
and how it's inhibiting their growth, the firm's growth, the practice growth, and other individuals' growth, and take a different approach to enabling people instead of making them fearful. I think maybe an interesting thing to do for a listener of this podcast is to to conduct their own mental experiment and think about the the times in your career when a leader has been vulnerable, when they have disclosed something that is very human about themselves, maybe they've disclosed some uncertainty, maybe they've disclosed a struggle they're going through and the impact that had on you. And then contrast that with our own drive to appear invulnerable. So what I have found is vulnerability is incredibly attractive in other people and terrifying to contemplate on my own. And so to to wade into those waters of like, well, you know, how do I show up as a as a more real human being? You know, if you think about the the leaders that you have found most inspiring over your career, it's for me, it's been people who believed in me and people who were believably human and weren't afraid to show their faults and talk about their struggles. And you can experiment with that in a little way. You know, what's something that I was afraid to talk about? For for years, I was afraid to tell people I meditated. And then when I started disclosing that a little bit at work, it made me different to, you know, some people were incredibly like, tell me about that. What is that like for you? How does that help you? What's your experience of that? And other people weren't interested in it. It was fine. You know, I was afraid I'd get ridiculed or laughed at for disclosing an outside interest. And what happened was I either got people more interested in me or they ignored me and moved on and and it was fine. And so to create that kind of rich conversation around real things, you know, you're not going to do it all at once, but to do that at a little bit at a time and just see how it goes over and what kind of impact it has and what kind of impact it has on the relationships of those who who work for you, that can be a pretty powerful thing. And I'd, I'd encourage people to experiment with that. It's interesting, you know, before we close, I, I guess I want to put you on the spot one last time. And I was, as you were answering that question, I was just thinking through my head, you know, it feels like there's times when there's these forces inside of a firm and a leader that's pulling them to manage the firm. Mm-hmm. And then there's a opposing force that's pulling them to lead the firm. And there's this tension between, well, I have to lead people in these ways, yet I also have to manage to some P&L target or, or, or something else entirely. As a leader, how, how do you suggest that, that your clients navigate those types of awkward tensions that may or may, maybe they don't exist, but if they do exist, how do they manage that? Is that a real thing? Am I wrong? I think it's absolutely a real thing. I think it's like anything, it's a real thing in our heads, right? I mean, everything ultimately is in our heads and how we define something in our heads. I do think there's a, a way to navigate that to say, let's divide it up just arbitrarily to say 80% of what we do is is managing and 20% is leading. So 80% is about managing certain things, questions that we have answers to, KPIs that we've already agreed that we need to hit, client development plans, you know, what have you. And 20% is ask, you know, kind of going into the unknown and asking asking lots of questions and gathering lots of information. To me, the key to both of those is really reducing them to the simplest elements. So 
if I can give my people three three principles of of, of managing, and, and it's going to be different in every situation. You know, what would those look like? What are the rules that I know if I follow them? If I know that I'm going to put the client first, for example, or I'm going to put something else first. Some organizations say, you know, we don't want clients abusing our people. We're always going to side with the employee. But every organization has those. And if you can reduce it down to simple rules to follow so that people can run with them, your your people can take on a lot of the management stuff themselves without you having to micromanage them. And then then you get to kind of wander into the the uncomfortable questions. What does the future hold? How do I figure that out? How do I navigate that? And, and frankly, a lot of I, I see a lot of leaders avoiding those questions because they are uncomfortable and because it is easy to manage on a day-to-day basis and call someone up and say, where's that report? And you know, what are the things that I know can be a lot easier to handle than the things that I don't. And so that's the other side of this is Lean in where it's uncomfortable, because to me, that's where the leadership opportunity actually arises. All right. So let's see. Key takeaways here. So so it's it's lean into where it feels uncomfortable. It's trying to reduce potential fear inside the organization. Those are some of the things that actually are, you know, enabling growth. Yeah. Notice notice those two are intention, right? Mm-hmm. On the one hand, you're kind of leaning into the fears. On the other hand, you know, it's it's fears about the future. It's not fears about how I look. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, that may be a very real fear for, for many people, right? <laughs> so, it, it, it totally is. Yeah. It's the biggest mm-hmm. fear, the fear of looking stupid. Absolutely. All right. Well, we better take it to wrap here, actually. But this was interesting. It's interesting because to, to, I think, you know, as I said at the open, I, I feel like we've talked a lot about growth. We've talked about strategies and tactics and, and different approaches that different leaders have taken. But we have It's rare we've stepped back and just talked about the role of the leader himself or herself in enabling growth and what they need to be thinking about. And I think it, those questions feel a little more ethereal and they're a little, they're a little harder to wrap your head around, but they're important that we as leaders step back and ask ourselves those questions. Are we creating an environment for growth to happen or are we somehow blocking growth? And it's important that we recognize if we are a growth blocker, that we get out of our own way and enable that growth to happen that we're looking for. Jeff Munn, I appreciate you joining us. Jeff McKay, I tolerate you being here. (laughs) Just teasing. (laughs) All right. But anyway, no, thank you so much for for, for joining us today and sharing your thoughts on, on this. It was really helpful. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.